Thank you, Jack, for that beautiful song. And uh, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, I didn't know, Pastor, that we've become a, an applauding church. When someone says something good, you know, you can, you can say amen, you can say shake that pulpit or something like that. But I'd like to ask, if you feel the urge, if I say something you like, instead of clapping, just throw money. And so maybe we can raise some money that way. But 2 Kings chapter 6, let's get right into it. I know it's a little bit late, and I understand the time that we'd like to work with. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm thankful for a church that has missions emphasis. You say, why? Because I'm glad that we take time once, sometimes twice a year, to refocus on that which we should be focusing on all year anyways, right? And I am thankful for the missionaries. Anybody, anybody who would leave the comforts of America, especially if they have a family, take their family and move across, leave family, leave their home church, leave the United States of America to take the gospel somewhere else in the world, they have a special place in the heart of God. I think Mark chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 11 make that very clear. And by the way, they ought to have a special place in our heart as well. And uh, we were, two days ago, took my family to do some shopping for the, um, uh, for the International Sunday and we got to Food for Less, long lines, shorter bill. And so we were, we were there, and, and right outside they had a NASCAR driver. And, and he was right there, and, and, and they, they were ushering everybody, go see him, go get his autograph. And, and so my kids, naturally, you know, they see a crowd. They want to go see what's going on, giving out free goodies and stuff. And so we went over there, and the PR guy, he, he said, hey, he said, we'd love to use your family uh, in some video, something like that. Can you sign a waiver? Let us, let us have your kids over there. And whatever. Uh, they don't mind. And so they went over there, and he was signing autographs, and people were flocking because he's going to be on television racing today on Fox News. And because, uh, you know, he's a notable name. You know, I would rather, and I don't mind, you know, we, we, we follow some people. I would rather have heroes like a missionary right here. Yeah. You want to know a true hero? Someone who would collect cans to feed his family, to share the gospel in that city in Mexico. That's a real hero. And I really believe that God has a special place, throw money, in his heart for someone who would do that. But I have a simple question as we're turning to 2 Kings 6.24. Why missions? Why? Why should every Christian be involved in missions? Why the fuss? Why the time? Why the energy? Why faith promise, as we'll talk about in a little bit, and Pastor will talk about tonight. Why have we sent, Pastor, I calculated this just this past week. Why have we as a church sent 60 in the last 13 years? Spouses, and that's not counting the, the children that have already come back. That's just the ones currently serving, the man, the lady, and their children. 60 people from this church to leave many times for the rest of their lives to go live in a third world, godless, hopeless, dark culture? Why have we given up two senior assistant pastors to go serve in Asia? Why have we given up three of our school principals? By the way, Brother Chim, it seems, seems to be a trend there. Watch out. <laughs> Why did we send out the vice president of our college and, and so many others to go? Why do we take young families and transplant them into dangerous places? I was with Brother Luis about a year ago, this past October, and uh, we, we did some preaching, did some soul winning and whatnot, but Brother Tongi, while we were there, it was evening time, and he said, you know, we're going to go preach, you're going to preach, me, uh, up in a remote village church, and he said, 
Well, we're going to leave the ladies and the children behind. Now, Pastor, that should have been a, uh, a memo to me. I should have known what was coming. And so we get in a van, and it's hazy, steep elevation, not too far from where his house is. And we begin to go up. It's drizzling. The clouds are at the same elevation that we are because we're so high. And we begin to go up these steep mountain roads. We come to a steep turn, and as we make that turn, the back wheels start to spin. This is Guatemala. There's no railing on most of those steep mountain roads. Read the statistics. Look at the news. See what happens on those roads. And the back of our vehicle begins to bounce towards the edge. I, with all the faith I could muster, opened the door and hopped out. Literally, I jumped out of the car. Brother Luis gets it to stop, and he looks at me, Brother Tongi. You know missionaries. And he says, Brother, where's your faith? I said, I, I said, Brother, I said, my dad taught us to apply faith, and he also taught us that God gave us a brain to use. <laughs> and so I get back in, we finally gained traction. We got there, we preached wonderful service, no running water, just a little light bulb and a, cil- a cinder block hut. We had a great time. We come back, and he says, he says, now, I can't get up this hill that we came down, mud hill, to get into this little village. He said, so one of the locals are going to have to get us out of here. And so he gets in the driver's, the local pastor gets in the driver's seat and starts going up the hill, and he, he floors it. I mean, he, literally, he's peeling out the whole time we're going up here. I'm thinking, good thing my wife has life insurance. But we go, and, and he's literally all the way to the right, and we get some traction here, and all the way to the left, flooring it the whole time. We finally made it out. I was trimming some years off my life on that one. About three months later, I came back to the States, and Brother Luis texted me. And he said, you know, on that same mountain road, in that very same vehicle that you were in, Brother Luis's best friend was traveling up that road with his family. I'm sorry, down that road with his family. As they came around a sharp bend, the brakes gave way. That same vehicle we traveled to preach in tipped over. The little boy was killed instantly. The other, the young daughter, was all bloodied and injured. The wife, who had just recently given birth, was injured as well. And yet, to this day, both Brother Luis and that missionary serve faithfully. They didn't come home, they didn't come take a furlough. They stayed, and both of them are still preaching to this day. Brother Luis sent us pictures just a couple weeks or a couple months, not too long ago, of these big sinkholes just down the road from his house that swallowed vehicles with whole families inside. He travels that, that road with his family, and yet he stays faithfully week in and week out. Why? Why have we sent our missionaries to Cambodia where they've had credible threats of violence against both the missionaries and the nationals? Why do we send young families that are still having children to places where there's primitive hospital care, where Brother Tukio and their family had a premature baby, and they took him in, you say, did they take them to the NICU? You look at the nationals, you say, where's the NICU? They said, and what? They had a premature baby. You say, how did they care? Did they bring the oxygen mask and all that? Yeah, they brought some oxygen. And the family, for days, and I think weeks, manually pumped the oxygen so that baby could stay alive. And by the way, thankfully, she's, she's older now and she survived. But why? Why? One of our missionaries, I won't say it because it's a restricted, uh, restricted access uh, nation, 
had someone, uh, had, a had a local pastor with seven kids killed recently just for sharing the gospel and baptizing. And they found a young pastor face down in the water because he wouldn't stop preaching. Why do we send to places like that? Why do missionaries stay in places like that? About 250 years ago, two young men, as we're looking at 2 Kings chapter 6, two young men answered that question for us. The young men's names, single young men, were John Dober and David Nitschman. They answered that question. Long story short, their pastor began preaching and had a zeal to send people from his church to take the gospel around the world. These two young men, they got a, a, a passion in their soul for an island that had 4,000 slaves. No gospel witness, no church. Brother Paul, maybe it's just me. It's a little warm in here. Uh, how many of you are warm today? Okay, it's just me. Thanks. Okay, a couple of us. Good. They got a passion to reach this, for sake of time, to reach this, these slaves. They understood that these slaves would live and work and die and go to hell because there's no one to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so all the potential, all their life in front of them, they said, we're going to go. Of course, their families were heartbroken. The only way you could go to that island was either you could sell yourself as a slave or you could work in servitude to the slave masters. They said, we will work in servitude for the rest of our lives. And as they boarded that boat and as they started to push off, their families weeping, knowing they'd probably never see them again. As they took off from that bay or from that harbor, they looked back to their families and they answered the question that we pose today. You say, what did they say? The phrase they said to their families that were grieving their departure was this. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You say, what is that? They understood that when Jesus Christ went to the cross and hung and suffered and died, the only reward that he looked for was the salvation of lost souls around the world. And they understood that if I've been given that grace and if I've been given that salvation, I owe it to Christ and I owe it to the lost. And by the way, might I answer that question for us today? If we are saved, we owe it to Christ and we owe it to the lost to do our part to get the gospel around the world. That's why every Christian ought to be involved. But let me... Uh, this violent language if you saw that thing, Pastor. Uh, let me zero in the scope a little bit more and ask an even deeper question. Why should we as American Christians, why do we have an even greater responsibility to get the gospel around the world? I think this passage we're about to look at explains it very clearly. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 to 33. Let's read it together here. I'll make comments. The introduction's long. The application is short. I know the time and I'm watching it. It says, and it came to pass after this, chapter 6, verses 24 to 33, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts, I think very applicable to the world and the Christians in America, and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. You say, what's happening? A king surrounded the city, and he had an idea. He said, if we can surround the city, we will either starve them out, cause surrender, Eventually, they're going to die, and we'll go in and take over the city. And so there's a great famine there. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces of silver. You say, how much is that worth in today's currency? $307 for a donkey's head. Jay, we thought eggs were expensive, right? Talk about inflation. Talk about scarcity of food, right? 
And we can talk about chicken farms and egg farms going up in flames. That was bad. $307 for a donkey's head. It's worse. And a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. See, how do you eat dove's dung? I have no idea. But it's going for five pieces of silver. That's about $23. $23 for about, for about a pint of dove's dung. Very dark time in this city. And as the king of Israel was passing by, this is all going on in the city, and the king is there, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? He goes, If God doesn't help you, how am I going to help you? And she probably was persistent. He said, Okay, tell me what you need. That's what she said. And the king said unto her, what aileth thee? She, she answered, the, uh, the woman said unto, this woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. And we shall eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. It came to pass that when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, he passed by the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. These were dark days in the city of Samaria. To be born in this city at this time was to have a death warrant upon yourself. Can we agree with that? It was a dark time. There was no hope. There was no help. But God, in his mercy, and aren't you thankful for God's mercy here today? And if I can say this, nothing humanly could have been done to help their situation. It was going to take an act of God. But God, two of the greatest words in the Bible, but God, in his mercy and in his compassion, looked down on that city and God would make a way for life. And God said, I'm going to do something to save the people in that city that have no hope and that have no life and that are headed to death. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 7. And so God did something that only he could do. Chapter 7, verses 3 to 9. Chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. By the way, you say, why were they staying at the gate? Anyone know? They weren't allowed in the city, right? Or they weren't allowed to have a home there. They probably outlawed by their, or uh, kicked out by their families. They said one to another, why sit we here till we die? Like, man, this is hopeless, isn't it? If we say we will enter the city, the famine's there, and we'll die there. But if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, I'll, I'll be a POW. I'll take bread better than a donkey's head. Dub's dumb. We shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. They rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, no man was there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo! The king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore, we know this was God, right? 
They arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was so and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent. It's good stuff right here. And did what? Oh, talk to me. They did what? They did eat and drink and carried then silver and gold and raiment and went and what'd they do? What'd they do? They hid it. Went and hid it. Came again. By the way, this isn't, you know, they, they, they probably, maybe they had a horse. I highly doubt it. To go and hide it, that was, this is going to take some time. This is a process. They take it, and they go off, and they bury it, go find a cave, and they'd hide it. Came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and did what? They hid it. Then said they one to another, we do not. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. We tarry till morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And you see these men did go, and these men did tell, and they saved that city. You say, what made the difference? Yeah, can you guys put that first graphic up there? Say, what made the difference? As these lepers, by the way, did they do anything to earn God's grace? Did they deserve what they stumbled upon? Did they? Talk to me. They did not. But somehow, God made a way for life. And these leprous men somehow, by God's grace, stumbled upon a lot of goodness. And as they sat there, surrounded by blessings, and as they sat there, stomachs full, no longer thirsty, with changes of clothes, with gold and with silver. They sat there. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was one of them that was more spiritual of the bunch. I don't know how. But somehow, in the midst of them sitting surrounded by blessings, they began to think back to that city. They said, we have hope, but they are hopeless. We've been given life, but they have a death warrant. We are full, but they are empty. We have hope, they have none. And someone in that group, and then it began to be collective, thought about what was going on about, uh, over there, and they thought, you know what? We do not well. If we've been giving, given all the blessings of God, and we keep it to ourselves, and don't go tell somebody that needs it. When I think of that story, I think a lot about the United States of America and the rest of the world. The world out there is spiritually dark. Just while I preach this sermon, should I say, just during this service, 1,832 people will die and go to hell. Brother Tongi, not because they rejected Christ, but because not one time have they heard the gospel. And yet here we sit in the most prosperous country in the world. Look around us this morning. We have been blessed. There's no shortage. Go on YouTube. Brother Ken, you can listen to YouTube Christian preaching and videos about the gospel until you die. We've been blessed, have we not? But there's a dark world out there for the Tongdi shared where people are. He talked about a, 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 a young lady that her mom was going to sell her to China. Like just for a few hundred bucks. When I was there in Cambodia, I remember going to visit a children's ministry, 12-year-old boy. He had a young siblings. I said, where's his mom? So, well, they don't have a, a job here. So his mom crosses the border to go sell herself for a month at a time to bring back money to provide for the family. 
you look here in this area of the world, 90%, 90% of people who live right there, and that's two-thirds of the world's population in the 1040 window, 90% of them are unreached. They have not heard the gospel one time. One time. I'm going to pick up the pace for sake of time. It's spiritually dark. And yet God, in his mercy. And yet God, in his compassion, has made a way. In spite of the sin, in spite of the darkness, the Bible says in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, not just people in America, but that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder if we this morning, as Christians here in America, might consider, and I'm not going to go through all the stats, I don't have time, but we could go on for a long time. If we might consider the spiritual darkness around the world, and might we consider that we've been blessed beyond measure, and might we ask ourselves today, how does God want me to be involved to a greater extent? Three things that these lepers understood that will help us to understand God's grace and will help us to be involved as we ought. Number one, number one, what ought we to realize if we are going to be involved like we ought to? Number one, they realized and we ought to realize we ought to be involved because of the grace of God in our lives. How many of you are thankful for God's grace in your life? Look, I don't know what I did to be born in the United States of America. The most prosperous powerful nation on, this, on the face of the earth. I didn't do anything to deserve this. My great-great-grandfather came over on a boat. He's a troubled kid, got kicked out, put in an orphanage when he was 12 years old, had his last name changed. I don't even know my last name two, three generations ago, but I happen to be here. By the way, it's God's grace. We didn't do anything to be part of a church like we have. We didn't do anything to be surrounded by the music that we heard today or the blessings or the grace. By the way, I've seen our parking lot. We've been blessed financially. Pastor, there was a time when my dad would encourage you all to park diagonally so it would look like we had more cars in the parking lot. Is that true? Something to that extent, right? Okay, and now we've got a pretty nice parking lot, do we not? we got some pretty nice cars out there. God has been good to us. And might we, like those lepers, look at each other this morning and say, if we do not involve ourselves like we ought to, we do not well. What can I do as an American Christian to further the cause of Christ around the world? I think we can all do a little bit more. I read a story about a luxury ship that was a couple months ago, I believe, maybe two months ago, traveling by and they heard a distress call from a migrant vessel. How many heard about that? And they, they heard the distress call and they, they ended up helping. They ended up going off course and picking up 20 migrants that were stuck at sea. They interviewed a lady that was there and it just so happened at that time. Some of you probably read it. She was just, she, she was having a time, right? You know how it is, luxury. How many of you been on a cruise before? You been on a cruise? We're not a rich church. Okay. <clears throat> all you can eat all day, right? Yeah. All you can drink all day. Good drinks. Uh, all you can snack all day, right? It's unlimited luxury. It's unlimited blessings, if you would. And this lady talks about how she had 
inside of this American dream, this American perspective that she had, she happened to be on that ship, and she came face to face with the reality outside of our borders. And she said, man, this really changes your perspective to be inside and to see people like that. They left Cuba to, to flee communism. And then I read about another one where same luxury ship, heard a distress call from a boat, not too, I think it's on the same article. You click the link, it'll take you there. They heard the distress call, Brother Tongdi, but they didn't want to change course. It was a fishing boat. And so the fishermen died. Another time, there were migrants on a boat in another luxury ship, for sake of time, no details, just passed on by. The question is, we in America, we're on a cruise ship. We live in luxury. Let's just be honest with ourselves. You say, but according to the government, I live at the line of poverty. Even the line of poverty is the top thir- in America is the top 30% in the entire world. We are blessed. The question is, when we, see, when we see these missionary presentations and we hear the distress call, the question is, are we going to look up from our unlimited eating and drinking and pleasure and luxurious, pleasureful lives, uh, lifestyle and look up and say, I can be involved and I will change course. My wife and I were in Kingman, Arizona uh, on vacation, and, and they have a Coca-Cola plant. And we were, I heard they had 25-cent Coca-Cola. Someone, someone had told us it's 20, I mean, inflation, man, that's, that's great stuff right there. So I got five kids. Coca-Colas are expensive for five kids. At the, you know, you multiply it times whatever it is now. So we stopped by, and, and I heard that right outside the gate. So there's the Coca-Cola plant. It's surrounded by a big fence kind of off on a side road. And right on the outside, there's a, there are machines there, supposed to be Coca-Cola for 25 cents. Man, let's do that. And so we went around looking for it. We found it. We got there. We put in our quarter. And no joke. Every slot was sold out. <laughs> this is a Coca-Cola plant, right? Like, this is right outside the fence. This is not very far away. Y'all know where I'm going with this? I thought, right inside the fence, they have an unlimited supply of Coca-Cola. They've got all the workers they need. And I'm sure there was an excuse. I'm sure there was a good excuse. Maybe there was somebody that had to pull, they had to pull the stock guy to do a different route because they were short workers. I get it. But, and humor me for a minute. There's a family that was thirsty. No. Uh, humor me for a moment. There's a family that came looking for the good stuff that they heard. When they got there, it didn't exist. Why? Because they couldn't spare a worker to stock the machines. They had the supplies. They didn't stock the machines. And might I challenge us today as American Christians? I believe that God has given Christians in America all the means to carry out his will in this world. The question is, are we going to keep it inside the fence or are we going to do our part and be involved and make the difference he wants us to make? Number two, and I'm moving quickly. I have about four more minutes here. I believe we'll finish in this time. Why should we be involved? Number two, because of the good tidings that we know. What they say when they looked at each other, these lepers, they said, behold, today is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. Look, there's a disease worse than cancer in this world. It's called sin. And men that die in their sins will split hell open and go to hell for eternity. That's the bad news. That's the death warrant. But if we're Christians, we know the good tidings. We know the cure. We know 
the solution. And the solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just like they had the good tidings and they couldn't keep it to themselves, they went back to the city. We have the good tidings. and We cannot keep it to ourselves. Let's go and make a difference by sharing those good tidings with the rest of the world. Number three. Number three. What did these lepers realize that we must realize? First, the grace of God. Second, the good tidings. And finally, they realized that somebody must go and tell. They said, that's, they, those were their words. Somebody must. Now let us go and tell. Brother Esposito sent us a text the other day. He said, you know, the, the youngest missionary, we have a team in Thailand, Cambodia, Laos. He said, you know, the youngest missionary in our team in Thailand, Brother Tongi, Brother Jay, 50 years old. The other missionaries are over 60. Someone's going to have to go replace them. You say, well, yeah, I'll pray for the Bible college students. I am too. I work with them every day. But let's think historically. Historically, actually, it wasn't the Bible college students that went. A couple. You say, who was it? Staff members? Faithful families that love God, got a burden, and went. You say, oh, that's for somebody else. God might just speak to you today. You say, but I'm an architect. They can use you. I'm an accountant. They can use you. I speak English, 70% English, 30% Ebonics. They can still use you. So I, spe- I speak, I'm mess around sometimes. I speak East LA English. They can still use you. Come on now. The gospel's not going to get there unless someone, you, you know, those lepers could have been there and they could have kept enjoying all the goodness and said, God, please send somebody. No, that was them. They had to go. I really believe that God will send, and I'm hoping and praying that God will send some more. And let's just stop thinking that it's just the college students, because it might be some of us. Oh, it's getting quiet. Brother Tom and Miss Sue Suttrick. They retired. They had a house. They had a boat. I think they had multiple cars. But God put in their heart to move to Thailand. And they probably have the most primitive house of any missionary. Probably, right? Sleeping in nets and whatnot as retirees. Let's move on. But let me say this. Maybe God, maybe God makes it clear that we ought to stay. And by the way, we need to have a strong pastor. We need to have a strong church here in Jerusalem. If God calls us to stay and he will not allow us to go, we ought to do everything in our power to support, even to the point where it hurts, those that are willing to go. Last illustration. I have about one minute left and I'll be done. Uh, Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China. He was was on a boat. and There was a man that he was trying to witness to and the man was under conviction. During the course of events, the boat shook or something, and that man fell overboard. A good friend of his that he's trying to see saved. And Hudson Taylor dove down into the water to try to save him, and he couldn't find him. He got back on the boat, pulled himself up, caught his breath, dove back down again. He got back up, and he looked, and there was a fishing boat right there, right next to him. They had a big net, and he knew. He knew that if that fishing boat, those fishermen, were to just drag their net, he was certain that they could get his friend out of the water. 
and save him, not just from physical death, but spiritual death. And so he pleaded with them, and he said, please, help, please, drag your net, please come help me. They would not. He said, now we're busy fishing. And so he, he said, how much do you charge? And they gave him some outrageous sum. He said, I don't have that. And he said, this is how much I have. And after pleading and pleading and pleading with them, finally they said, okay, we'll take your money. And nonchalantly, slowly, they drug their net. And sure enough, they pulled up what was now this man's lifeless body. You know, those fishermen had every means within their fishing boat to pull that man to life. They chose not to. You know, when I think of that story, I think about Brother Tongdi and Brother Board and other missionaries that get up here, Brother Vong probably tonight, and they're going to plead with us. They're going to say, help us. Send more laborers. Send more money. Pray. So that we can go, these, these that are falling off into a Christless eternity, so we can pull them to life. And I want to thank our church for being a missions-minded and a giving church. But I want to challenge us. This missions revival... Let's do a little bit more. Let's do a little more. You say, how can I get involved practically? First, let's get involved. Let's get behind this offering. The Lord gave Pastor a word of knowledge the other night. And come on now, let's not leave him hanging. Pastor said he's going to give 10 times what he normally gives. And Pastor, before you said that, no joke, before you said that, the Lord had already given me a number that was 10 times what we gave last year. Maybe it was the Lord. I'm not saying everybody ought to give 10 times, all right? Maybe you can't. Give what you can. Give what you can you want to be part of expanding God's kingdom in real time? I know it's not buildings, but when there's a house that was once worshiping idols and now it's going to house Bible college students, come on now. I'll get behind that. I'll get behind that, right? Number two, we can pray more. Let's all pray, right? Some of us, God might work in our heart about going. And then, finally, those of us that God calls to stay, pastor's going to lead us in faith promise missions giving tonight, and I want to challenge every single one of us, every one of us, let's nobody get left out. Let's be involved in sacrificing and giving at a, on a regular basis to see these missionaries go and take the gospel to the rest of the world. Let's go ahead and stand together and let's pray. Let's stand together with our, head bowed, our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You heard a tremendous message and a tremendous truth. The world needs the gospel. What are you going to do about it? It's one thing to sit in the service and to hear it, but what are you going to do? This isn't a, I use the term, this isn't a spiritual missions TED talk. We're trying to get something accomplished, but it takes a response. What are you going to do about missions? Some of you, God, may be talking to you about going. <coughs> what are you going to do? God wants all of us to give. What are you going to do? The piano is going to play. God spoke to you. Why don't you come? On a practical level, have you thought about your involvement? <coughs> if you don't follow through on what God's talking to you about, you'll leave, you'll have lunch, and you'll forget. Let's not do that.